Hi, I'm Anarchy Somerville and welcome to the podcast How to Be a Boss at Aging. In this week's podcast, I'll be talking to Kate Bailey, who is a coach um, and she does lots of different kinds of coaching. We'll be talking about that in a bit more detail. But really what we're going to be focusing on is kind of the collective kind of trauma that people are going through at the moment and the grieving and all the other feelings that we're getting. Some of us might be getting them because we've been in lockdown. Some of us might be getting it because we've lost our jobs or we've actually lost somebody that we love or that um, maybe some of the situations we find ourselves in are kind of bringing back memories that we'd kind of buried. So we'll be talking about that and then some sort of practical advice on things we can do which are probably less kind of harmful addictive behaviours and maybe sort of acknowledging that there's some things that are addictive behaviours but are not too harmful to us. So sort of making that distinction a bit. Anyway, I hope you enjoy it. We also talk quite a lot about addictions to online shopping, which is something that I've struggled with, um, which some people might think is not too bad, but is actually quite bad um, when you end up sort of um, bankrupt because you're basically on the Zara app much, much, much too often. Um, Anyway, I'll come back at the end, but I hope you enjoy the chat and see you later. Well, I'm excited today because I've got Kate Bailey with me. And just before we started recording, I was asking Kate to describe the different ways that she kind of positioned herself as an expert. And she's a sober coach. Um, She's also a podcaster. She's also a published author as well. And she's also now become somebody who coaches coaches or trains coaches and have I missed out another one there too, Kate? No, I mean, we, I, I live basically at Love Sober. <laughs> yes. And that's where, yeah, so I do all of that. And You do all of that. Yeah. Exactly. And you basically, and you work with Mandy Manners, don't you? That's right, so yeah. So it's the, the two of you. And basically, I've spoken to Mandy before on another podcast. And actually, interestingly, she did a little bit of coaching with me too. I wanted to talk a bit about... Um, specifically I guess about kind of trauma and and grief and I suppose in particular thinking a bit about kind of different behaviours so things like addictions because I mean I I'd never really seen the direct link there between obviously the things that happen to us and then the ways that we try and escape those things and the, the things that we flee into why do you think it is that I mean I mean, trauma in particular, I suppose trauma is quite a broad term, isn't it? Because it can be so many different things, but negative experiences can then lead us on to having some sort of problems with addictions later on in life. Yeah, absolutely. I think something that's really come out of the shifting conversations around addiction and addictive behaviours over the last few years, um, I'm thinking, I suppose, of the work of Gabal Mate, um, is this kind of notion that that we've moved away from this, oh, you've just got a disease or, you know, you're just an alcoholic. And it's like, well, actually, what's what's happened um, to you? And you're quite right. I mean, again, with this kind of looking at trauma, we've either got, you know, big T trauma and the things that we might might feel as big, big trauma, so, you know, like living in a war zone, sexual abuse or some, something like that. We kind of you know, identify as, as traumatic. But actually, there's been quite a lot of work done around um, small t trauma, which is it can be just kind of ongoing, almost like, I don't want to say micro trauma, because it doesn't feel micro to the person who is going, going through, through it. it. But it could be emotional unkindness, it can be neglect, it can be, you know, divorce, um, and those kind of things that happen to us. And, and what happens is, um, it overwhelms our nervous systems 
and it's anything that overwhelms our nervous systems is now called referred to as as trauma. Mm. So it can be something really uh, cataclysmic, but we get it's difficult, isn't it? Because like you already said, people can experience things what what can seem like maybe a a minor thing to one person if they're being you know subjective and then to somebody else it's a massive deal isn't it so we sometimes it feels a little bit like you can't you can't almost you can make a hierarchy but you shouldn't because it can still impact on people quite heavily is that right yeah absolutely it's like bullying at school you know some people are you know and it depends you, again because you can be you might be neurodiverse you might be a highly sensitive person you might have enough other stuff going on in your life that's very robust that you can kind of cope with that but again there might be a few things going on where that massively impacts you so it could be a, a layer of stuff and I think it's I also think it's that thing with people who have gone through trauma that something common about it is we tend to minimize it and say oh you know it wasn't that bad and actually well it was bad enough you know it was bad enough for me it was bad enough for you uh, if we're carrying it around and if we are like you say you know it can carry on through life and you can develop you know addictive behaviors or you can you know have heightened anxiety I'm quite interested in the work on the nervous system where we can go into fight, fright, fleas, uh, fight, flight and freeze. But maybe we'll get onto that in a bit. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good point. I was actually talking about that with another guest, Gemma Thomas, and she actually is an exercise coach. And so she she talks she was talking about how movement sometimes helps you actually she's more interested in how exercise helps you in terms of your mental health rather than just the way that you look so she's kind of like sometimes if you're suffering with a really sort of anxious morning doing movement any kind of movement can help sort of get rid of some of those heavy feelings when you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed is that a little and that, I suppose that is just how the physical effect isn't it of kind of things like anxiety yeah again I think that yeah movement is is a really key part and something fairly easily accessible to hopefully most of us and I find you know it's that yeah it's that sort of body mind link isn't it that we we're much more aware of now but again I find it very interesting to look at what's happening in the nervous system so when you have an experience of trauma whether it's something that's happened recently for example because life is impactful we get knocked off balance by things like we've seen with covid there's this heightened anxiety and what's happening in the nervous system is that we will have been going to fight flight freeze submit like it will be we will be activated we'll have higher levels of cortisol adrenaline we will be feeling that kind of yeah, anxiety, racing thoughts, breathlessness, you know, those really horrible, uncomfortable feelings. And really, it's about, you know, there's assembling a kind of a holistic toolkit to help us soothe ourselves, and which we often are trying to do when we reach out for an addictive behavior, it might be a substance, it might be, you know, it might be a bit of you know, what happened to me, I'll talk about what happened to me is it used to be alcohol and obviously it hasn't been for many years. But I noticed A, when my sister-in-law died and B, when COVID hit, I hit eBay and it was like, bring like the fairy wand every time like something happened. And I realised that I was trying to, I didn't realise at the time and then reflecting on it a few months later, I was like, oh, 
I'm trying to get a dopamine hit off eBay to kind of make myself feel better because actually I'm struggling with something else. So isn't that interesting? Because I've talked to a couple of other friends who say that their addiction to their phone has become much worse over this period because they're sort of saying that there's the social isolation of being, you know, inside and not being able to see friends face to face. And they're walking around the house with their phone in their hand and using it much, much more than they used to pre-COVID. So, and, and, and I suppose also those behaviours like looking, you know, doom scrolling, sort of scrolling through awful news feeds almost, and then feeling that sense of dread, and then sort of trying to look for another kind of way to feel, almost sort of using your phone to, to search for different feelings that might, you know, up and down all the time. Yeah, it, it totally. And uh, yeah, I really, um, yeah, I get that. Um, and I think partly, like you say, that sort of lack of routine, the the lack of connection has, is a big impact. It's that double whammy of the fact that we have heightened anxiety, so we're going to things, and then the immediate nature of the phones. So anything with immediate gratification is very can very easily because of our dopamine response in the brain it, it can actually take hold quite quickly yeah and what about because obviously part of the thing with I suppose some of these addictive things like booze and, and drugs is that there is a kind of a numbing effect isn't there so if you're if you're in the midst of a really difficult feeling and then you have have a drink it will switch it off doesn't it it does have that impact or you know obviously if you use drugs it'll kind of depending what it is that that can kind of switch that emotion off temporarily I mean I suppose for some people they might go well actually what's the harm I mean I know there's a huge discussion around booze and how much booze you have but if it does switch it off you know sort of if you are sort of having a hard time and having a glass of wine works you know it can make you feel better in that moment as long as you're not going hell for leather is that still okay or is it just more that the fact that you need to find other ways other avenues ideally to sort of not to fix yourself but just to make yourself feel better in that moment yeah I think there's two things there I think like you said if it's not a problem it's not a problem and I think it's, you know, often, you know, a matter of degree, a matter of frequency. And there's also the matter of that kind of relationship that you you have with that. And I think once we start looking at that relationship and how it makes you feel and then how you talk to yourself about it, how much you think about it, we see ourselves sort of a bit like on a spectrum. So on one end, there's just occasional use or, you know, and, that, and just not really a problem. And on the other end of the spectrum, there's like, you know, the traditionally understood addictive scenario where all the wheels are off the wagon and we have social problems emotional problems relationship problems you know we have a shit show basically and you've lost control so those are those extremes and then you've got this kind of big gray area and you can have that with any kinds of behavior I guess and so you can be a habitual behavior that is working right why do we do them because they work we get dopamine, we get soothed, blah, da, 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 da. So that's fine. You know, that could just be called a tool. <laughs> and then, but if you've got repeated, repeated use, um, and that can be with with anything. So you could have, I mean, obviously with alcohol, drugs and, and stuff, you have health risks and you also have, they get supercharged, if you like, because there's, an, uh, there's a chemical element to them. So there's that side, but it could be anything. Like you say, it could be the phone use, it could be shopping could be gambling can be sex it can be we can be numbing out and at that point we're, we're what the next bit you said well what about the real toolkit this kind of finding other ways 
healthier ways. Healthier ways. Well, that's it. You've got maladaptive ways or you've got healthy ways. And really, often with that is self-identifying, isn't it? It's like saying, it, it, it's like that whole thing about things in moderation. It's like if I'm occasionally scrolling on my phone, but I kind of go, oh, okay, I think I need to go and do a bit of meditation or something. Okay, that's fine. But I need to go out for a walk. I need to connect with someone. I need to wrap myself up in a blanket, go for a hot bath, actually. That's going to soothe me more than just doing, you know, scrolling on the internet or drinking a bottle of wine, you know, because mine was always, it would turn into a bottle, it wouldn't be a glass. And then you feel crap the next day, so... Hmm. It's funny because I think when you get into your 40s, because like that's the thing and sort of, be, you know, I'm now in my later 40s and I think I traditionally probably would have, well, it's funny, I probably would have used booze or, you know, I was a, I used to smoke until I was, you know, actually I gave that up quite a while ago, but there were certain substances that I would use to kind of switch off because I'd had quite a traumatic event happening when I was younger, when I was about 15 um, and then more recently, I lost my dad last year in March at the beginning of lockdown unexpectedly. But unfortunately, he was a alcoholic. It then transpired. We kind of learned more about the behaviour that had been happening. And I suddenly was like, oh, God, right, I can't. I'm not going to smoke. I've got two young children. I'm not going to hit the bottle because my relationship with booze is now a bit problematic, you know, like because it's had such a negative impact on my dad and his his family so I'm like okay so what have I got left and um you know I sort of thought well as a as a kind of middle-aged woman if I want to sort of stay alive and be a good parent then it's really going to be hot baths and runs isn't it I mean that's kind of that's basically that's kind of it isn't it it's a nice sentence of hot baths and runs now for you I know it's like it's like I think um I couldn't really because I was kind of like trying to think about other things because online shopping is another bit of a a thing, uh, you know, so I can really identify with what you were saying about sort of going on eBay. And, you know, for me, it's I've got the Zara app. And so quite often be watching the news and then have the Zara app and be just but Googling obsessively particular clothing, so sort of cardigans with fun collars (laughs) or, you know, jumpers with lace collars. And then you can see my sort of, history every time I go on the Zara app that you know I'm I'm looking for the same things and then I find something and then I buy it and then I almost forget about it immediately but I think it's I've almost felt like I can acknowledge the fact that these addictive the addictive behavior is still there but I suppose I'm almost like thinking okay so I'm not drinking excessively I'm not smoking I'm not you know I'm not addicted to sex so yeah. actually going on the Zara website a bit obsessively is probably is one of the lesser evils if that makes sense yeah and is it the end of the world you know it's that it's that thing isn't it that and I, and I think there is because I think if we get into this what's kind of weirdly empowering and disconcerting about this conversation is that often people think that people with addictions are somewhere over there and when we realize that basically we're quite hardwired for addictive behaviour because of our ancient physiology, which is basically that I've talked before about the dopamine loop and getting a dopamine hit is is a function of memory. I don't know if you know if, if I'm t- you know you already know that, but it's basically how we learn, and so that things become automatic, so we don't have to think about brushing our teeth. So we've got brain space to split the atom. Well, I haven't. I've never. <laughs> Clearly, I <laughs> wouldn't know how to split an atom. 
but it's that that thing and so we we do things automatically and now that can be that sort of a friend and a foe if you like especially when you have periods of heightened anxiety and so it is it's it's that kind of okay well we're not gonna we're not gonna be able to rule out that dopamine loop and us looking for ways to make ourselves feel better but we can hack it a bit and I think that where you said about having this kind of variety of tools to go to is where it's at because we also experience this thing called sorry if I'm nerding out hedonic adaptation where we get used to a thing hedonism so we get used to it and then we need more of it and which is why variety is the spice of life so we need to okay hot baths runs bit of zara bit of a massage what how do we light ourselves up community connection like community connection has taken a really big hit so how are we I mean I'm feeling like we're getting a bit of that now we're face to face on zoom that's about all that's that's about it but then the, and of course there's things like work as well isn't there because I've kind of thought like being focusing on work is sometimes given a bad rap you know people sort of say oh it's it's not good to be super productive all the time but actually for me in the last sort of 12 months a bit working hard on stuff that I enjoy doing has been a real tonic for me and probably stops me from going on Zara because I'm actually absorbed in something that <laughs> so I'm interested in. I need in, to not know, you know about that Zara app. I didn't know about that and now I know about I've, I know too it's, much It's now. awful. It's just <laughs> awful. And the things are co- constantly refreshed. And I think in the beginning I had this this real point where I was like, no, no, the clothes are not the answer. Like, you know, I had this awful thing that happened that when my dad died, I'd ordered a pair of jeans from Whistles. And the day after he died, there was a knock on the door and the Whistles jeans arrived and I put them on the chair and they were all in the pack. And I had this real clarity, like, what, you you idiot? Like, what the hell? You know, who gives a shit about a pair of jeans? Like, you know, it doesn't matter. It's such a... Why did you spend that money? And they sort of remained on the chair for a while. And actually, for a, for a while, I've managed to stop shopping. You know, I was kind of really... And I think that was also exactly when lockdown started the first time. And then slowly it picked up again. But, I mean, it, it's interesting what you're saying, because it's kind of like it's one of the lesser evils. And I suppose I feel like I'm... And I've spoken to quite a few women who seem to be doing similar behaviours where if you're aware of it and as long as I suppose but how do you judge when it's kind of getting a bit out of control that's the thing (laughs) I guess it's the frequency isn't it it's the frequency it's the intensity of it so what happens when we repeat behaviors over time is that we 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 have a narrative and we have a relationship and it informs our identity we're just a bit like that I'm just well that's just what I do well I'm just this I'm just that and I think that what really happens as well when something is becoming like maladaptive and we know we haven't really got a handle on it is that we have shame around it and we're like I don't feel like I've done things like my daughter's walked into the room and I've hidden my phone and I just know that that's like I'm just on it's just um, it's not quite in balance so I think that and there's a lovely coaching tool that we do you're a coach aren't you or you're an you're an author well, I'm a yeah, I'm a writer, and um, I've I've done a little bit of kind of more, um, I suppose more sort of targeting worky stuff, sort of professional stuff, and coaching in that area because I found that so many women in their sort of forties tend to lose confidence around that age group. So yeah, so but no nowhere, not not a. I try. I'm, see, now I'm doing that typical woman thing of like, not a proper coach, you know. But but you yeah. know, there is. I w- yeah, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't say I was a proper coach, you know. But yeah, 
Yeah, what I wanted to talk a little bit about as well is kind of so there is a bit of a tendency sometimes and I, I know you've talked about different kinds of trauma and but actually that they can impact on people in a variety of ways so actually it doesn't really matter almost about the size of it it's kind of more just how it impacted on you at the time when do you sort of go okay I can deal with this myself because I've got my own sort of tools I know I know that maybe you know a bit of yoga or a hot bath is is going to sort me out and then but then there's other times where the feelings can be so overwhelming and and you actually think hang on a minute this is something that perhaps I can't handle on my own. But how do you make a, dis- a distinction between the two? Because I think sometimes, certainly up my generation, it felt like a little bit that we, and maybe that's a bit of the British culture as well, of kind of like when bad things happen to you, you kind of just, you sweep them under the carpet, really. It depends a bit what kind of family you come from, but there's often this expectation of kind of, that's really unpleasant. Let's just not talk about it. And then as you get older, you're kind of like, shit, actually, that was really awful. And it's coming back now. And now there's another bit of trauma or grief because I've lost somebody else. And that's, you know, that's now impacting again. When do you sort of think you need to seek some sort of professional help? Because there's still a bit of a stigma, I think, attached to have you got a problem, you know, or or are you actually quite self-sufficient and you can sort it out on your own? It's interesting, isn't it? I, I, um, I suppose because I work in this world, I don't feel that there is still a stigma, but I think you're probably quite right. I like what Dawn Nickel of She Recovers is a brilliant recovery community, and they've really sort of widened the kind of aperture to she. She says we're all recovering from something, and I love that. Really made me laugh because I thought that was quite a kind of. That sort of sardonic, almost British humour. It's like, aren't we just bloody hell? Um, I know, it's true though, isn't it? But it is. And I think it's that thing about life is impactful. And I think that, you know, again, it's that sort of almost self-identifying thing of, am I feeling anxious? Am I feeling really low? Is my sleep interrupted? There are so many things that we can do, but I think you're quite right. And, you know, and if you have had this, those things about, you know, the adverse childhood experiences stuff, uh, which we know now that that, that really does impact us in our, in, our, in our lives. So things like bereavement, divorce and an addicted parent, that kind of that kind of thing, even sibling kind of abuse, that kind of thing. And I think there's things that then happen in our adult life as well. You know, I know somebody who that her she got made redundant and it massively massively knocked her confidence so I think it is that kind of you know I think you know don't you you think you know when you're like I'm I've done everything I've done everything in my power you know I'm doing the I at one time I I remember you know after my sister-in-law died and I really I you know at that point you know you've got people like cruise bereavement services and stuff and to be able to and sometimes they don't see people for you know you have people in that first meeting go to have lost someone six years ago and it's taken that long to go and get that so I think it's really individual when people process this and how they process it but yeah I mean I sort of said this to somebody I might have said it to Mandy I was just like there's only so much like you can yoga you can do to <laughs> to sort of convince yourself that life isn't really fucked up right now and I think if you're if you've exhausted your toolkit then connection is really important and seeking and seeking advice and seeking help and also we don't necessarily because some people hate talking it through like again I, th- I think some people are and I certainly was like this which is something that drew me to coaching because it was very practical positive 
proactive, strengths-based. And some people, if you've, especially if you've talked about what's happened, it's like, I don't bloody want to talk about it again. But you might still have a dysregulated nervous system. So you might still be presenting with all that anxiety, then the dialogue that goes with it and all of this. And so it might be that you work with a somatic practitioner. It might be, yeah, that you do EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization something oh i've never heard of that before um can we can uh link it if you want what is it oh um, yeah definitely i'm, I'm finding reprogram it's very very good it's used for ptsd it's used in france by their medical system because it's so good and it's like you don't really go talk about it you do all these kind of things and it helps file in the brain so again when people think about therapy it's like maybe i don't want to talk about it but there may be other modalities that you can I think that's part of, I mean, from a personal perspective, because um, my because my stepmom died when I was about 15 and my sister died at the same time because my stepmom committed suicide, unfortunately. And she was very, very heavily into therapy. So she'd been in therapy for many years, maybe like 10 years or something. And then she'd had this very it very deep relationship with her therapist. You know, she probably saw them three times a week, you know, and that was very much part of my childhood at, at times was kind of, you know, seeing Janine go off to the therapist and then coming back and the door shutting in her bedroom and, you know, very heavy emotional stuff. And, and so actually, you know, and I've sort of written about this and, you know, kind of the fact that I was almost the opposite. I was like, oh my God, that stuff is just, it's too much. And I just don't even want to go there. So I love self-help books generally, but I'm really drawn to things that have got very practical, pragmatic kind of approach to managing mental health. And I appreciate that therapy for people really works. So I'm not rubbishing it at all because I know that for loads of people, it's it's fantastic. But for me, I think I just, I almost got switched off at an early age and are now very turned. And that's why actually I'm always sort of like, what are the two or three things that I can do to try and feel better that work? And maybe for me, talking about the past and bringing these things up isn't going to help me, you know? Yeah. No, it's like about having practical things that you can do now to self-soothe. Mm, and it's exactly. like... There's um, a brilliant resource that I'll signpost at this point, which is, I don't, do you know the Blurt Foundation? No. Which are wonderful. It's blurtitout.org. And it's a, it is a mental health charity, but they focus on self-care as, a, as mental health tools. And they've got loads of free downloads. And one of their free downloads is called the Sensory Self-Care Toolkit. So again, it's about this nervous system, like we all have sensory needs. So it's about the sight, smell, touch, taste, you know, wrapping yourself up in a blanket. But it looks at it slightly deeper, like this stuff that I was talking about comes from the polyvagal theory, right? So it would be other really activated. And then if you do something like yin yoga, you go into rest and restore, right? So that helps the vagal nerve. And then you've got this other branch, which is this great place to be, which is called the ventral vagal state, which means I am open, happy, receptive. So this is where we want to be, isn't it? We want to be sort of, okay, if we've got a crisis, we want to be activated. If we're not doing much, we want to be rest and restore. And most of us are never there. And then a lot of the time, like now, we want to be ventral vagal. We want to be like, okay, where have I been? All the rest of it. So that sensory toolkit is how to work with that. So you might feel low, okay, putting on the music, having a disco bop, dance kitchen. Okay, that's too much. Switch that off. Okay, I need a warm bath and wrap in a blanket. If I'm sad, if I'm sad, I don't need hit. 
I need a blanket, you know. So it's you can really create this lovely self-care menu with little happy hits, with sensory needs to make yourself feel better. And, and it's really lovely. That's And that's very apt for the times that we're in at the moment, because actually for most people, the reality is, is that you can only do little small things anyway, really. Like you can't, you know, most people, are, well, I think some people are booking holidays and stuff, but it's kind of like at the moment, it's kind of, you know, some nice food, a good telly program, a hot bath. It's those things. Keeping some exercise. It yeah, exactly. It is, isn't it? It's making our worlds very small. And again, it's that, that sort of spheres of influence stuff where what can I affect and what can't I affect? Okay, I can't change COVID. I can have a bath. I can phone my mum or you know sorry that's not very sensitive of me um I can well no 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 that's that but exactly that it's like phoning a phoning a relative or or phoning a or being I mean even I've got a whatsapp group actually where even just venting on that like having a bit of a kind of complain about the homeschooling and what's going on there that can help can't it yeah that connection definitely and that feeling anything about common humanity is really useful and there's another thing that I'll signpost as well fourth really practical tips is the greater good science center and they are um, in Berkeley and Harvard so they're based in California and they've got a great website and they've got keys to happiness and they they've done metadata and analysis on apps like so if you how does mindfulness affect us and then they do this they get everyone on an app millions and millions and go do you feel better and they go yes I do so they're like okay and then they put people through MRI scans and say right do a bit of gratitude and they see all the different areas of their brain light up so they're all evidence-based practices to boost our happiness by about 20% I reckon you can actually do. So they're a brilliant resource, the, uh, the Greater Good Science Centre. The Greater Good. I'll, have to, I'll get some of these links from you and I'll include them in the resources because I think, to be honest, it's. I mean, I like the idea when it is talked about as a toolkit because I think that is kind of a bit what it, it, it needs to be is kind of, oh, if that doesn't work, then I might try something else instead. Yeah, um, and I think there's, there's that really big thing about when you've had trauma, like you were saying about this therapist and your associations with therapists, like not all therapists are trauma-informed and it's a very specific set of criteria as well. And part of it is to make people feel sort of empowered and in control of the process. So there is part of this anything that we can do to advocate for ourselves anything we can do to manage ourselves is very healing on trauma because it puts us back in control all of those feelings of like ah this is too much I can't control okay we can soothe we can be in control and that's super super important Mm, exactly so sort of feeling well also because if you notice the the positive impact it can have that's one of the things that's helped me with sort of having anxiety and going through the process of grief is that you sort of accept that you can feel very dire one minute and actually almost maybe an hour later you can come back out the other side and be feeling okay. So I I always think it's quite useful for me to remind myself that it's going to pass, it will pass, you know, eventually. And so those emotions, you know, in, a, in an average day, whatever you're going through, even if you're not, you know, whatever processing heavy stuff is that, you know, you are going to have ups and downs and ups and downs. And I think I think when I was younger, I would be, the minute I felt bad, I would reach for a substance. Um, whereas now I'm kind of like, okay, I'm feeling a bit shit now. But I, I felt like that yesterday and it did, it passed eventually, you know. 
Yeah, um, and you build that resilience. That's the thing, going back to those addictive behaviours. If you're using substances, you do outsource those coping strategies to that. So you don't actually develop that kind of those inner skills and those all those outer bits of organisation that can help you. And so you don't you don't build that resilience. And I think that's like absolutely right. Aniki like that whole watching it kind of rise and fall I would say watch the storm blow in and watch the storm blow out like if I do nothing sometimes doing nothing is genius because it just will pass especially if it's a moment of of that that crisis the other thing that I find with I think with grief one thing that personally really helps me and I've not seen it sort of written anywhere but I know how savage it can feel so I do think it's really worth you know reaching out getting any kind of support but it's almost like to be slightly passive with it like it because I remember I've been talking to other people about this as well there's a feeling like if I can really get this if I can really feel it I can fix it and then it will go and I think it comes like waves I really do and I think don't don't hunt for it you know don't don't hunt for grief it you know just let it soothe let it pass and and yeah almost sort of have trust the process with it a bit yeah it's an interesting one because I think I wanted to think initially that there was a very linear journey to it and I I have spoken to a couple of people on the podcast actually um who sort of have talked about grief and they've been through grief and sort of said actually the the disappointing thing to learn is that it kind of it changes, but that doesn't mean that at some point you might not just suddenly get blown over by it. But it's it is it's strange. It's almost like you don't you don't quite realise that things are changing, but they are in a subtle way. Like I was sort of thinking, oh, it's funny. Like in the beginning, I was I was crying with such regularity, and then I was thinking, oh, in the last couple of months, not been crying quite so much. Like you know, I can notice. I mean, it, it can still come, but it's kind of not quite so regular. But then I'm also. I think it's quite comforting to think that there's not an end to it because it would be very strange if you just said, oh, I'm, I'm all done now, sorted, sorted that out because you can't really because it's, it's such a it's such a monumental thing. And I suppose even there'll be lots of people who are listening who have lost relatives or even finding, you know, this whole pandemic thing is, is a form of grief really, isn't it? Trying to sort of really get over the the loss of lots of things and yeah, it's going to go on. Those reverberations keep going on, don't they? Yeah, and that's why, you know, when you sort of said that, you know, sometimes just making ourselves our world small, attending to our daily routines, anything that resizes and reminds us of common humanity, right, the greater... The, have you seen... Um, is it Hot Fuzz? Have you seen that, Simon? Peg? I have. Go, it was a while ago. good. And they're all nurturing everyone. Anyway, I so have. Great, no 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 I have seen I have seen that I mean it's funny because that's what that's another angle that I'm trying to sort of think of as well is that kind of not getting too noodly that you're so self-absorbed that also you can't see that there's a benefit perhaps to reaching out and helping other people too because that's another angle isn't it that's a that is genius isn't it because uh, again the Dr. Christian F, who does a lot of work about self-compassion, she's quite famous now, but that's one of her processes. She's got a three-step process, which is sort of acknowledge this is a moment of suffering. Then the second one is, you know, so investigate it a little bit and, and then remind yourself that everyone suffers, which sounds a bit like, I was a bit like, oh, that sounds a bit harsh. And she was like, but actually it is part of human, the human condition. We do, we love, we lose. 
things feel tough and then they get better and it's like that again that sort of resilience but it sort of resizes it in a way if we know we're all on the bus like we're all on the freaking bus aren't we we're all going to get off the bus at some point and it's all of us because I think when you go into grief or or, uh, you know that sort of trauma or low or any it can feel very isolating and personal it's just happening to me and you can feel really alone with it so that's why it's really good to yeah connect with people and resize it and know that it's it's all of us yeah Yeah, and it's a it's a there's certain commonalities in it listen Kate it's been so good talking to you and um yeah I think um what are your plans next what are you doing are you writing more books you're sort of you seem to be quite busy in the love sober camp I'm trying to uh yeah you know it is a bit it's like all the buses coming at once isn't it (laughs) so yeah we've got some plans for some some more books in the pipeline The, the thing that again I think because of lockdown and because of this connection over Zoom, we do um, Love Sober Life School, which is a three month programme. It's like self-development for sober women. So it's very much if you've got some sober time behind you, you know, it get, or that you've read a few books, like you're not total newbie to it. Um, and it is all the stuff like, you know, we've been talking about today, science of happiness, you know, hacking your tools, your environment, happy hits, you know, all of that sort of stuff or mental health tools, really, and, and habit change. So we're doing that. I do my coaching one to one. What else are we doing? Oh, we're doing training for the coaching academy. This is a new new thing, which is hugely exciting because, again, coaching was just for the worried well. And now it's because we're in this situation and because of all of the stuff we're finding out about what we've been talking today and life being impactful and modern life being stressful, we um, are writing and delivering a programme around coaching for addictive behaviours. So from your CEOs down, you know, stressed out moms, like how we're all ticking and how we how we can self-soothe. So, yeah. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Kate. Lots and lots of food for thought there and certainly sort of helped me understand a little bit about some of the more harmful things that we can reach for, but also being a bit kind to ourselves because I think we can have a tendency, especially at the moment, that we kind of beat ourselves up for doing certain things. I've heard friends say to me, you know, I'm on my phone all the time, you know, I'm on Instagram all the time. And okay, that's not ideal. But the thing is, we're also deprived of a lot of social contact and we're stuck at home. So it's it's probably quite natural for us to reach for those kind of um, reach for our phone basically to help us out in those times when it just feels really difficult so don't be too hard on yourself that would be my message and um, just think about whether it's sort of getting in the way of doing the things that you want to do I mean my biggest frustration is that the time I spend on my phone is time I could spend writing or time I could spend sort of creating more of the work that I want to do so that's my frustration and that's when I know it's getting in the way of I suppose the life that I want to lead but having 10 minutes go through social media I wouldn't beat yourself up too much as long as it's not making you feel really shit so have a think about that too how does it make me feel after I do this stuff and if all else fails I think I always say a hot bath works Um, a hot bath if you can set your phone up so you can actually watch Netflix in the bath without dropping your phone in the bath I think that's a good thing and um 
a podcast or 10. I love listening to podcasts and I find if I go for a walk and I've got um, a podcast playing, it just sort of transports me away to somewhere else. And comedy programmes are another big thing that I watch. So um, Schitt's Creek, which everyone's probably watched already, but it's really been helpful for me just kind of seeing something a bit lighter, something that doesn't feel too emotionally loaded and heavy. All right, well, I hope you're all okay and I will see you next week. Ta-da!